0: Good evening. Well, we're continuing on in Joshua. We've not even finished five chapters, so we only have 19 to go. I hope you had no plans for this evening. Joshua, we noted this morning that we looked at the one of three parts, and that was the entrance into the land by way, of course, the crossing of the Jordan. And the Jordan, we noted, is an illustration, a picture for us of the death of self, the judgment of self, as the Red Sea was the judgment of sin, we have the judgment of self, we find now that uh, Joshua had brought, has brought the people across. They're at Gilgal. Ahead of them um, is Jericho, and then Ai. Joshua, by the Lord, makes I think some brilliant decisions in that he decided uh, that he plans on cutting the the country in half. And then he goes and campaigns to the south and also, of course, to the north. So he doesn't permit the forces, the enemy forces, to gather together against him. And so now he stands with his back to the river, Jordan. No going back. Ahead is Jericho. This reminds me, I think, of chapter 12 of Romans. The first two verses. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. No going back. You know, in that segment, to present your bodies is a one crisis event where a believer makes a decision to give himself wholly to God. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to fail. But most of us haven't come to that point where we decide and say, at any cost, Lord, in my life, I will not go back. I am completely yours, here and now, and forevermore. One crisis of end I think that's what we see here. There's no going back. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord... And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places or in the heavenlies. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand Praying always with all prayers and supplications in the spirit, being watchful to this end with the uh, perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so our warfare is against the powers, against the the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies. Exactly where our blessings are if we go to the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And there in our conquest to receive those blessings, the enemy is going to come in. Note also, just as a aside, that the armor of God here, uh, what is it? It's both defensive and offensive. But it means that we are constantly moving forward, never turning back, because there is no protection of the back in this armor. There's a breastplate, a helmet, and so on, a sword for, for advancement. But there is no protection on the back, because this is warfare, and we're to move forward. All the time. And so, we have this principle here, of course, of, uh, of warfare. And we're led now by the Lord here. Now, what th- happens with uh, Joshua? After he meets with uh, the captain of the host, he falls down and worships. Holy ground, what the Lord said. at Jericho? was holy because he was there. And so we're led in our fight, in our battle, in this life by one who is the captain of the host for us as well. Now the Jericho, let's uh, go on and and just take a look at the record of the conflict. As I said, uh, Joshua cuts the nation in half. The first city is Jericho, this great city. Now, a, a battle is a single engagement, but a conflict is a series of battles. You have a purpose. You have an objective. Last, last week on a Sunday, there were two young men that were, I was, think I was talking to one of them, and another one walked up with a map, uh, all excited about, uh, and he pointed to a a little, I guess it was a little cross on that map, and he says, look, someone got saved right here. Uh, These two young men are going out and presenting the gospel to the neighborhood. But they made plans for the conflict, they, la- they laid out the plan of attack. Here's a map. Draw it out and take one section at a time, one section after another. Tremendous. How about us? Have you planned out your life for Christ? Have we set in mind what it is that we want in the end? Have we started at the end and worked back? Have we started at the judgment seat of Christ and worked back to the present? Conflict, planning out the campaign. This conflict against Jericho, let's take a look at it. Now Jericho was securely shut up because, verse uh, one of chapter six, because of the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho to you, uh, Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of Valor, and you shall march around the city all. You men of war, you shall go out all around the city once. This you shall do six days, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpet. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout then the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. What's the secret of victory here? Well, first of all, it's believing God. Faith is the element. Second element is obedience. Doing what God has directed. See the pattern? And this morning we talked about the word, knowing God's will and then obedience. Here it's the exercise of faith. Faith is not uh, inactivity. Sometimes we think of faith as just a ethereal kind of a thing where there is no activity to it. Faith takes Action. If you believe something, you act on it. Faith and obedience. Now listen to what the Lord said. And the Lord said in in verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given. Not I will give. I have given you, Jericho. Do you see that? God has given us every single blessing in the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus? Do we believe that? Do we act on it by faith? Here it is. The victory is the Lord's. And he brings us into the picture and says, you know what? (laughs) I can do it all on my own, but I'm going to bless you along the way here. I'm going to bring you into it as well. What a gracious God. And so he says, I've already given you the the city of Jericho. And he says, just by faith obey. I want you to go around the city once uh, around every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to go around seven times. And then the priest will blow the trumpet, you shout, and the walls come down say, come on, really? Faith. If God says so, it'll be so. Obedience. Now you could see these folks that are standing on uh, on the walls of Jericho, and they're looking down at this group going around the city. Following the Ark of the Covenant, they walk around once the first day. Well, they say, well, they're probably uh, looking to see whether there are weaknesses of of the city here. And the next day, they go around once. The seventh day, they come around seven times. And about the third time of that circle, people up there probably are saying, What's going on here? Well, probably a foolish bunch of folks. After the seventh time, however, of course, they followed the orders of, uh, of the Lord, and the wall fell. Now, would it have fallen if they went, just went around six times? I, we're getting a little tired here. You know, after the sixth time, one more time. Why can't we just stop right now? Would that be okay? Well, of course not. Remember Naaman, the the Syrian? He comes to Elisha, and Elisha sends out a messenger. He doesn't even show up. He says, go and tell him to just bathe in in, uh, the Jordan seven times. And of course, Naaman gets a little upset. He says, Aren't there better rivers up in Syria? I'm gonna go into this dirty river, Jordan. The servant of his comes to him and says, Go ahead and go. You do if it was something greater than this, you would have done it. Why don't you just go ahead and do that? And then he went into the water. Now, he was a leper. He went under the water the first time. Was he still a leper? Yes. The sixth time, he says, well, that's enough, right? Still a leper. It's in full obedience to the Lord. The seventh time. Remember, we talked about complete obedience. And so it is complete ob- obedience that brings the victory. And it brings the victory here at At uh, Jericho. You shall shout with a great shout, Uh, well, verse 5, it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go in up every man straight before him. Now, there are a few items here that I think are worthy to look at. The trumpet sound. What does the trumpet sound for us today? Are we sounding the trumpet? The trumpet is a calling together of the camp. It is also calling to movement, it's also a warning. Are we warning others? Are we giving forth the gospel message? We ought to be. The trumpet. We're shouted down. Oh, look at television, uh, the newspapers, uh, the Internet. The Christians are shouted down. Do we stand, not shouting, but do we stand and proclaim all the majesty of the Lord, his grace, and his kindness to us? The people shall go up, every man straight before him. In the battle, sometimes what happens? Among us, as believers, we look to the left and we look to the right and you say, you know what, this fellow here, he's going right towards the rich section of town, and that's really where I want to be. That's where I would like to go. I think it's the the idea here is of gifts. We look at what work the Lord has given us, but we want somebody else's. And yet we're all members within the body, and the Lord uses every single one of us, and every single one of us ought to go straight, as the Lord would direct, not worrying about the one that's on the left or the one that's on the right but exercising the very gift that God has given us for the blessing and benefit of all. The the enemy is a strong enemy and it requires a concerted effort on the part of us all. Now that's victory at, at Jericho. But there was a failure as well at AI. Let's take a look at the failure. Now, just because we've come across the Jordan and just because we've committed ourselves to the Lord doesn't mean that there isn't going to be failure in our lives. And AI is a perfect picture of that. Look at verse um, 1 of chapter 7. Well, let me just step back a little bit here in um, verse 18 of chapter 6. And you by, by all means abstain from the accursed thing, let you become accursed when you take the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord." Just make a mental note of this. Every single element, any element of wealth, is the Lord's at Jericho. Why? It's the first fruits. This is the first city taken in the land. And all of it belongs to the Lord. If we follow this through, he actually says that it goes into the sanctuary to be used for the ministry by his priests. But it belongs to the Lord. The first fruits are the Lord. Now verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. But the children of Israel committed a trespass reg- regarding the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of uh, Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. So the anger of the Lord burnt against the children of Israel. Now that Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is besides Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, uh, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not worry all the people there, for the people of Ai, Ai are few, so about three thousand men went up there from the uh, from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai struck down about thirty six men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them down on the descent before the hearts. Of the people melted and and it became like water. And of course, Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth and so on and so forth. And in verse 10, the Lord speaks to him and says, The, the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. Now, how did Israel sin? Twofold transgression twofold transgression confidence in self self-confidence and covetousness covetousness of Achan he went in and he took of a possession that belonged to the Lord he took the Lord's portion we note for instance uh, in uh, in chapter 7 and verse uh, 20 He's found out and and finally confesses. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils of beautiful Babylonian garment 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them and hid them in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. Covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness. And look what he taught, took beside the silver uh, and the gold. Um, a beautiful Babylonian garment. Now, what is he going to do with a beautiful Babylonian garment? Well, he going to put it on? And stick out like a sore thumb. Where would you get that? But that's a heart sometimes, isn't it? Covetousness. And so here we have the sin of covetousness. Dear saints, there isn't anything that we do individually that doesn't affect the whole assembly of God's people. He said here that Israel committed a trespass. And then he said Israel has sinned, the whole body of people is considered guilty. There is nothing that you or I do individually that doesn't affect others, that doesn't affect the assembly as a whole. So, covetousness. And then, of course, self. The idea of self. Well, don't weary yourself with sending everybody out there for AI? AI is just a little tiny place. You know, we can do it on our own. God did it at Jericho. He says, I have given you Jericho, but here we can do it on our own, can't we? And that's what happens sometimes in our own lives. After a great victory in the life, what happens then? We're in deep danger. Because that's when the failure comes, and we think that we can deal with something that is small or little before us without the Lord being in it. And, of course, we can't. We need the Lord every single step. And God, in his gracious uh, care of uh, Joshua and the nation Israel, of course, um, gives them the direction to go and attack AI. And, of course, AI is won over and so this whole campaign, this central campaign to break the uh, the um, the land in half, is is won over um, by Joshua. There's also a, uh, an element here that I think that follows up that's worthy of looking at. This section, uh, chapter five, verse thirteen through through chapter twelve, the conquest, the conquering. Th- uh, the land. There are two incidences after the victory at Ai, not just the defeat, but now going back and winning um, at Ai, and that is the events that went on at Shechem. Let's read about it just a little bit. The latter part of uh, chapter eight. Now Joshua, verse thirty. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. And as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses. Which he had written, and all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood um, stood on either side of the ark before the priests and Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them, half of them were in front of the Mount, uh, in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterwards, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that was written in the book of the law. And there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women and the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. And so here we have it. Shechem, these two, uh, on these two mounts, the people are, half the people are on one side, half the people are on the other side, a valley in between. And here is the word of God read to them. The word is honored at Shechem. What a great thing this is! They entered the land, the victory through uh, the central conflict is done. And now they stand up and they read the Word of God. Little ones as well as the elderly standing there hearing the Word of God. How important it is for us to be sure that the Word of God is presented regularly. But tied with that is another element. Let's go now to uh, chapter 9. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on the side of Jordan in the hills and in the lowlands and the coast of great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Jebusites heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they were craftily And went and pretended to be ambassadors. They took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of the provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua, the camp at Gilgal, and said to him, "Um, And to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country now, therefore make a covenant with us. Let's drop on by, to uh, on down to. Anyway, they, they made a, uh, they're going to make a covenant with them. Verse 14. And the men of Israel took some of the provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rules of the congregations want for them, and so on and so forth. Joshua, it says, then the people of of Israel did not ask counsel of God. On the one hand, they honored the word of God. On the other hand, they didn't get down on their knees. And there is an intertwining between seeking God's word, seeking what God has to say to us, from the word of God, and getting down on our knees and presenting our cares, our wants, and our petitions before, before the Lord. We measure the temperature, the spiritual temperature, of an assembly of God. How? By the prayer meeting. There's only one assembly that I know of, that has more people in their prayer meeting than they have in their Bible hour. Pretty amazing, isn't it? For various reasons. That's not so with most assemblies. There's a handful at their prayer meeting. Some come for the Lord's Supper thinking that they're doing great honor to the Lord breaking bread, and they leave right after the breaking of the bread. They don't even bother sitting under the word of God as it's preached and presented. And you won't find them in the prayer meeting. The spiritual temperature of an assembly is at the prayer meeting. And so it's vital to be in the word, individually and corporately, and it's vital to be on our knees before our God. Well, now let's go into the last portion here, <clears throat> beginning with um, chapter 13. In chapter 13 through chapter 24, we now have the inheritance. The land is cut up into pieces as uh, directed by God and given to the tribes. Other than the Reubenites and the Gadites and the uh, half a tribe of Ephraim, they're still on the other side of the Jordan. Now think of that. They're close to the Jordan, but they're on the other side. We have to measure our own condition. Where are we at? Are we between the Red Sea and Jordan in the wilderness? Or it doesn't matter how close we are to the Jordan if we've not gone across. Last week it was Easter. You know, the difference between the world and the, and the Christian is which side of the cross are you on? We're on different sides of the cross, are we not? One hasn't come to the cross, the other has, looked back. But for a carnal Christian and a spiritual Christian, the difference is between, where are we at? Are we still between Easter and Pentecost, between the Red Sea and the Jordan? Or have we crossed Jordan, the Reubenites and the Gadites, and half a tribe of Manasseh said, you know what, particularly the Gadites, they said, we've got flocks, we have animals, and this is a perfect place for them. They concerned themselves about the animals, and reluctantly, the Lord, through Moses, permitted them to stay there, close, but never going over the Jordan into the land. And yet, when we go back, uh, or we, when we roll the clock ahead, the time of the Lord himself, he went into the land of the Gadarenes, Gadarenes. What were the flocks at that time? Swine, pigs, pigs. And they were concerned still about their flocks rather than a brother who was possessed of a legion of demons. They were concerned about their swine and asked the Lord to depart. What a condition! Close, but not coming across. Not coming across not possessing the land. Now chapter 13. Now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to possess. Very much land yet to possess. Seven years they've been in conflict with seven kings in the land multiple battles, the central campaign, the southern campaign, and the northern campaign, and now Joshua is old, and there's land yet, much land, to be possessed. How about us? They had limits. God gave physical limits of the land and they hadn't possessed it all. Why? Turn back to chapter one of Joshua. Verse um, two Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this, Jordan, you and all the people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. And then later on, he sets out the boundaries. He's given them all the land, but he says, you go and possess it. They had the inheritance, but they had to possess the Inheritance, And it's true with us. We have all spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. That's our inheritance. But there's a great difference between inheritance and possession. It's all there for us. How much of it have we possessed? How much of it by way of our soul of faith touching the ground? How much of it have we possessed? He says, there it all is, but you're only going to possess what you take, where the sole of your foot touches it. Very much ground yet to be possessed, or very much land yet to be possessed. Let's take a look at some of the, very quickly, the, uh, the um, principles of possession First of all, in chapter 13, again, verse 2, it's by virtue of providence. This is the land that yet remains at the territory of the Philistines and all uh, that of the Gazerites. Well, let me just break that down a little bit further. Verse, uh, drop on down to verse 6. All the inhabitants of uh, chapter 13, all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the brook Misrafoth, and all the Sidonians, when I will drive them from before the children of Israel, only divided by lot to Israel as an inheritance as I have commanded you. The lot, 25 times the read of the lot, and the lot here is an action, I believe, of of God that is now replaced by the Spirit of God. They knew what God wanted by virtue of the lot. We know what God wants by virtue of the Holy Spirit today. It's the providence of God, the first request, uh, the first uh, principle of possession. The second principle of possession is by virtue of request. Look with, uh, with me to chapter 15. Chapter 15. I'll find it yet. Verse 16. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kirjah's sephir and takes it, to him I will give Asher my daughter as wife. So Othniel, the son of uh, Canaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Asher, his daughter, as wife. Now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey, and uh, Caleb said to her, what do you wish? And she answered, give me a blessing, since you have given me land in the south Give me also spring waters, so he gave her. You have given me, give me also, and he gave her. The blessings of, of God and Christ Jesus for us. Have we taken possession of any of them? And then asked for more? Do you think the Lord would withhold that? He says, yes, I'll give you more. You want more? Ask, and I'll give you more. You have not, because you ask not. All of the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, and so it's by request. I want more of Christ. That's the idea. And then finally, by capacity. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go through that, but there are three little terms that are brought out. I'm not going to go through and read it, but uh, I'll leave it for you. I'll give you the references. In chapter 17 and verse 16, there's that little uh, little statement, not enough. In chapter 19, verse 9, there's the little statement of too much, too much. In fact, let me read that. Um, The inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah, for the share of the children of Judah was too much for them. What a horrible thing. Too much. Too much of the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Too much. And then finally, in verse 47 of that same chapter, chapter 19, there is too little The teaching here, I think, is that it's by capacity. Turn with me very quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Keep your place here, but turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 35. In verse 35, there are two questions uh, that Paul raises. But someone will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what bodies do they come? How are the dead raised up? Question one. And with what bodies do they come? Question two. And he answers question two first. first, beginning in verse 36. And he draws from three fields of science. He draws from botany, from biology, and from astronomy. Now, let's take a look at the field of astronomy, the the illustration that he draws from that particular science, beginning uh, in verse 40. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star. The emphasis here that I'd like to uh, uh, set forth is on the stars. The, the, The sun and the moon, they speak, of course, of the Lord, they speak of the uh, the reflection in the, uh, of uh, the sun in the moon, uh, which would be the church, but the stars differ from uh, another star in glory. That's how the bodies are going to come. Each of us will have a different glory. Every one of us, based on our capacity. Now, we look at the star, and we see the glory of the star, the brightness of that star. That brightness comes by at least two ways. One is size, and the other is proximity. Size is all that you've taken in in Christ, and the other is the proximity that you live to Christ. Capacity. Capacity. Each one of us will have a different capacity after we pass from this life. But all of that capacity is prepared here and now. There'll be no growth in capacity once we're gone from here. I am fully convinced. We develop the capacity for Christ here. Each one of us will be filled 100%. In eternity, every single one of us. The only difference is that some of us will be a thimble and others will be an ocean going tanker. But the capacity is developed here. How close are we to the Lord Jesus? How much do we take in of Christ? These are the important elements that speak of capacity. And whatever we gain here is what we'll have. Then of course there is the the um, principle of possession. It's by faith. Caleb in chapter 14, you're well uh, it's, it's a portion that you well know. Caleb says give me that mountain which was promised 40 years back. Moses, by God, promised it to me, now give it to me. By faith. By faith. There are also, of course, some preventives to a possession. We're out of time, but there is slackness. Slackness is idleness or slothfulness is one description. It's falling short. And it's to delay or to put off. How many times do we have a task before us? Perhaps some of you that go to school, you say, well, I've got to prepare a paper, and it's due in three weeks. I've got plenty of time. I've plenty of time. (laughs) The day before, we panic. Right? I haven't done it. And so, of course, this is the idea of... uh, Of slackness, then compromise, chapter 16, verse 10. It's uh, making the best of incompatibilities. Compromise. I think that's one of the biggest sins of the Christian today, compromising with the world. Compromise. And of course, it ruins our walk with the Lord and our progress in this life. And then inability. Inability. We can't do it. If God says you can do it, you can do it. To say I can't do it. The inability. The things that prevent us in possessing the land. And so here we have then this great picture The crossing of the Jordan, which speaks the death of self, and now the progress in the land, possessing the land. There are enemies in the land, but we have the armor of God. And we have the captain leading the way, possessing the land taking hold of every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. There are three standards in the first chapter of Ephesians where the, some of those blessings are described. And there are three distinct aspects of those blessings as they're performed by each of the persons in the triune Godhead, by the Father, by the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. Three stanzas there. We don't have the time to go through it, but I leave it for your own study. Three stanzas of the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And he says every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus. If we will just possess it, just possess it. Let us pray. Our Father we do indeed come before Thee now. And we thank Thee, Father, for this portrayal of truth as presented in the historic, uh, historical events of the nation Israel. We take some of the spiritual meaning for us. And, oh, gracious God, we just realize that in some segments we fall short, perhaps far short. We ask, O gracious God, that thou would lead us on, that the captain of our salvation might be before us, and we might be followers in full faith and obedience. We pray, O gracious God, That again, the blessings that are ours in the heavenly sin, Christ Jesus, that we might seek them out and make them ours. For his glory's sake, we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.